Director of Outreach and Connection here at Church. We're in a four-week sermon series called Every Values That Will Change Everything. And today, Pastor Nate has asked me to share on every member a minister. Well, he told me that that phrase has been around here in this church for a long time. And I believe it because the word minister means servant. And I see how well you all serve. When I first came to the church, one of my first observations is they look like a little army, just a, a, an army of well-trained soldiers. They all seem to know what they're doing, and they just get it done. You guys are amazing. And we've even seen that here today with the worship and the children's story. Thank you for serving the Lord so faithfully here at Faith. Well, the idea of every member a minister comes from 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. We won't turn there right now, but in 1 Peter, we, uh, we are called a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood, that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, we have access to God the Father. Not only do we have access to God, but he's also given us a vocation. He's given us something to do to serve him. We are a royal priesthood of servants for the Lord. And uh, so this, the nice thing about this is you don't even have to go to seminary. You didn't have to go to seminary. And as a matter of fact, we don't want you to go to seminary because then we'd have to pay you. <laughs> well, I'm going to start off this morning by telling you a story. When I was a little girl, um, I noticed I was in elementary school, and I noticed that there were kids in my class. And I walked by the door, and I could tell it was a little girl who was in a hallway in the basement. And I think the banana peel got brown on my jacket and dry on my jacket. And so finally, one night at dinner, one of us four children said, who dropped that banana peel on the floor and didn't bother to pick it up? Well, in a very tired voice, I put the banana peel on the floor. And I put it there for good reason. You see, my dad was away in the army, and my mom was holding down the fort by herself, and she put the banana peel there on the floor as an object lesson to say, if you see something that needs to be done, just do it. If you see something, even if it's not your job or your responsibility, just take control. Um, take initiative and help me out here. Mom, lesson learned. <laughs> well, churches can sometimes be that way. Maybe not this church, but some churches do have a of those are young and they're away at college. Well, that leaves 380 
one hand and I hit the rebellion and piety thing with people that did God and belong to him. That leaves 236 people to do all the work. Well, 150 of them are busy with children. Well, that leaves 86 to do all the work. 15 of those live far away and can't get to the church to serve. That leaves 71 people to do all the work. Well, 69 of them say, we've already done your bit for the church. Well, that leaves me and the house. And pastor, I'm exhausted, so good luck to you. (laughs) But we know that pastors can't do all the work by themselves. We know that they need help. But sometimes we don't know what the needs are. Or we don't know where we fit in. We're afraid to step out because we're afraid we might step on someone's toes. Or we're afraid that we might risk failure and not do a good job. Well, when my husband Lon was a young pastor, we planted a church. And I remember very specifically sitting in the seat on a Sunday morning, not really knowing where I fit in. I thought, I can't preach a sermon like Lon. I can't sing a beautiful worship song like our worship leader, Haley. I couldn't play an instrument like our our band leader, Tom. I couldn't direct or act in a drama like Peter. I didn't know how I fit in, and so I just sat on the bench. And to be honest, as a young 19-year-old pastor's wife, I didn't really know all of the -the behind-the-scenes things that needed to happen in order to make the church functional. I had not yet received teaching on every member of the church. I hadn't been introduced to all the different ways that I could be equipped to serve in the church. Well, maybe that's your story. Maybe that's how you're feeling today. Maybe you are looking for an opportunity to serve in the church, but you just don't know how. Well, I want to tell you that God created you for a purpose. He designed your life to have meaning, and he created you to serve him in powerful ways. Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 7. I love to have a little context for passages that I'm reading. So um, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He had planted that church, and he was there 18 months. He went on to do some other things, and now he's writing to the church while he is in Ephesus, where he's planted another church. He's writing because the church is having some trouble, and it, uh, the First the Corinthians covers different topics, and one of them is spiritual gifts. It was written between 53 and 55 A.D., And it spoke to those Christians then, and it still speaks to us today. And the first thing that it says in verse 1, 12-1, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Well, a few years ago, I was at a different church setting, and I began to ask people, and some other staff members began to ask people, What are your spiritual gifts? And we began to hear the same two answers. I don't know what a spiritual gift is. The second thing we heard was, oh, I studied that a really long time ago. 
honest, I don't really remember my gifts. Well, that's a small sampling, but I do think that it is a sign that pastors have stopped teaching about spiritual gifts, perhaps even for the last couple of decades. Well, why do you think this might be? Why is it that we've become ignorant about spiritual gifts? Well, I believe that one reason is because after pastors taught on spiritual gifts and there was a need in the church, they would have conversations like this. Oh, you need someone to work in the nursery? Well, that's not my gift. People would use their gift as an excuse to not do very important things in the church that needed to be done. And pastors and church leaders hate to hear that. Oh, I can't do that. It's not my gift. A second reason I think pastors and church leaders stopped teaching on spiritual gifts is because oftentimes when the teaching on spiritual gifts would happen, people would begin to focus on their gift. A little bit self-focused instead of God-focused. Because ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the giver of gifts, and the true gift is the Holy Spirit. And so I think pastors stopped teaching because sometimes it could lead to a little pridefulness in the church. And the third reason is that there is one gift that we seem to get really hung up on, and it's the gift of tongues. Now, sometimes in the setting when you're teaching on spiritual gifts and and there's opportunity for discussion, the gift of tongues can be very confusing. And there's generally a couple of people that want to monopolize the discussion time by focusing in on that one gift. And when we think about the Americans saying, we can't see the forest for the trees, that's sometimes what happens with the gift of tongues. There's someone that'll get very confused and they'll get lost in the forest and they'll take the whole group with them. And so that is a third reason that we've become ignorant about spiritual gifts. And especially regarding the gift of tongues, 1 Corinthians 14 gives us very clear guidelines and we really don't need to be as confused about that gift as we seem to be. Well, those are the reasons that people have become uninformed, but because they are essential, but spiritual gifts are essential to every member of minister, we're going to talk about them today, and we're going to dive in so that we are not uninformed. Well, what exactly is a spiritual gift? Some of you had this teaching a long time ago, and some are hearing it for the very first time. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the Holy Spirit and distributed to every believer according to God's design and grace for the common good of the body of Christ and its loving witness to the world. And if you didn't get all that written down, I can give it to you later. But we're going to learn more about these wonderful gifts. And if you look down in your Bible passage to 1 Corinthians 12, 4... There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And you've seen that we've highlighted different words there. I love that how this makes 
um, another idea pop out of this text. Different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kinds of working. But the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God at work. I love the word different here. The church of Jesus Christ is not a boring place. There is a lot of variety in the kind of work we can do and a lot of variety in the gifts and a lot of variety in the people that the Lord has brought to serve him. The other thing I love about this passage is that the whole trinity is there. We see that the spirit is mentioned. Lord is a reference to Jesus Christ and God is a reference to God the Father. Our Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has given us a variety of spiritual gifts to serve in a variety of ways. Why? What is the purpose of these spiritual gifts? And I love it because this text answers this question. 1 Corinthians 12.7 says, Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We aren't given the gifts for our own benefit. We aren't given them to make us feel good about ourselves or to make us popular or to make us happy or to make us money. The spiritual gifts are given for the common good of the church. Well, where are they listed in the Bible? Well, this might surprise some of us if, we're, if you're hearing the teaching for the first time, is that there's no one place in the Bible where all the spiritual gifts are listed. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing, he writes a list of gifts in one chapter, and then in another book, in another chapter, he'll write another list that includes some of the gifts in the first list, but it leaves some of them out. And then he adds some new ones. And so it's, um, we have a little bit of freedom in looking and finding gifts in the different writings of Paul. But traditionally, a good place to go is in th three different passages. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. And that will give us a good list of gifts. And so what are the spiritual gifts? If you um, are hearing this for the first time, I hope you're on the edge of your seat wondering, what is she talking about? What are spiritual gifts? Well, we have them on the screen for you, and I want us to read them out loud together. On some lines, there are two different words to describe one gift. We'll just say the first word. So administration, apostle, discernment encouragement, evangelism, faith, giving, healing, helps, leadership, mercy, miracles, prophecy, pastor, teaching, tongues, interpretation of tongues, wisdom. And you'll see at the bottom about intercession and hospitality. Um, they're not mentioned in these chapters, but we'll often see them on gift lists and gift inventories. And I love to see them there because I want to know who are the prayer warriors in the church and who are the people who have this wonderful gift of hospitality. And you know the gift of hospitality 
It's been said, it's making people feel at home when you wish they were. <laughs> well, how do we get our spiritual gifts? 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these gifts are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Well, ultimately, the Holy Spirit determines our gifts we usually operate within top, um, maybe three, top three gifts, but the Apostle Paul s seems to say that there's some fluidity in those gifts because we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and 14, 1, and 39 that he says, earnestly desire certain gifts. Earnestly desire certain gifts. Well, that tells me that we can pray and ask for a gift. And then we'll ultimately know that it's the Holy Spirit that will say yes, no, maybe, or wait a while to that prayer. The church, just like the body of Christ, has a lot of interdependent parts all working together. I don't know how many of you remember the Afrin commercial about a decade ago. And I, I, I'll bring it to mind for you. It is... Um, the camera is zeroing in on a dark room, and there's some ominous music playing. And we can see that a man is just waking up, and he's turning on his bedside light. And then what we see is that he's just one large nose. And he's got glasses on, but he doesn't really need glasses because he doesn't have any eyes, and he doesn't have any ears, and he doesn't have a mouth. From the neck up, he's just a large nose. And it's very scary. And it really convinced all of us that we needed to go out and purchase Afrin for our medicine cabinets, that we could not do without it. Well, I think the idea came from the Apostle Paul. <laughs> because at 1 Corinthians 12, 17 through 20, it says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If the body were all one part, oh, I'm sorry. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. God made the body of Christ to be intentionally interdependent on each other. Well, that can be frustrating, can't it? We have to agree on things. We have to go a little slower than we would like to go sometimes. We have to share the credit with others. The good side of that is if something goes south, we can also share the blame. <laughs> we, the, the good side is we accomplish more when we do it together. And when we get to step out in faith and see what God's done, then we all get to praise the Lord together. The body of Christ is interdependent. We all need each other to function as a church, and we need all of the other gifts that people have to function as a church and to fulfill the mission that God has given us. So the mission of Faith Covenant Church is this. Faith Covenant Church exists to connect diverse people in compelling Christian community and to grow them into disciples of Jesus who reach our neighbors with the love of Christ. That's a great mission. It's a big mission. 
So how do we apply this to our lives practically here at Faith Covenant Church? You've each been given gifts, supernatural gifts, to serve the Lord and to fulfill this mission. So the first thing is, if you haven't already thought about it, just give some thought to your spiritual gifts. And sometimes even just looking at the list of spiritual gifts will prompt your mind to say, oh, that's my gift. Second, see if there's spiritual fruit from your ministry. If you have taught a lesson to adults or children, did you hear anyone repeat something that you said? Did you see people start to grow more like Christ as a result of your teaching? If you have the gift of encouragement, do people mention how much your words mean to them and how you gave them greater confidence in serving the Lord? If you have the gift of evangelism, have you seen people come to Jesus more so than maybe other people? Do you seem to have a knack for bringing people to the Lord? If you have the gift of faith, are you able to publicly call the church out to do greater things than they imagine they can do? And does God show up in big ways as a result of that? Well, those are just a few examples. Is there fruit from your ministries? And third, ask other people what gifts they see in you. We all need a mirror. It's very hard for us to see in ourselves what others see in us. So ask other people, what gift do you think I might have? And fourth, take the spiritual gift inventory. We've been sending out a link to you in Life at Faith, um, and I'll email it out this week. Take a spiritual gift inventory. There's a paper copy on the welcome desk. And the spiritual gift inventories are not perfect. They're not in the Bible. They're created by humans, but they still give us good language and evidence of what our spiritual gifts might be. And lastly, let the church know what your spiritual gifts are and what your ministry interests are. There's a, a form that we've provided in our Breeze database called Shape for Ministry, and you can fill that out. And that way, you're not signing up to serve in any particular ministry, but if we know of your interest and a need comes up, then we can find you. Otherwise, it's a little bit like looking for a needle in a haystack, but this Breeze form will help us find you. So in conclusion this morning, what would our church look like if we were all serving in our area of giftedness and inviting new people in the church to do the same? Well, we would have greater capacity to meet the needs of people in our area, share the good news of Christ with them, and connect them into Christian community where they would grow to look more and more like Jesus Christ and begin to partner with us in God's work. I'm going to say the big ideas again. Meet the needs of people in our area. Imagine all of the needs in the homes and the schools of people in our area. Share the good news with Christ. Imagine getting the gospel on the tip of our tongue and sharing it with others. And connecting them into Christian community where they're going to be discipled. We're teaching them the word of God, teaching them how to pray. And where they could begin to partner with us 
in the ministry of the church. We're teaching them how to serve. Well, does it sound impossible? Does it sound overwhelming? I hope so. Because in our own strength, it is. But it's not impossible for God. A friend of mine reminded me of this story from the children's storybook Bible that I'm going to use to close our time together. It's the story where Jesus fed the 5,000 people. There were once 5,000 tired and hungry and probably very grumpy people sitting on a hillside wanting their dinner. They'd come to hear Jesus that, that day. They came before breakfast and stayed all morning, all afternoon, and way past dinner time. No one had meant to be out there that long, but that's how it was listening to Jesus, as if time didn't exist. People couldn't just, could just listen to Jesus for hours, and on this particular day, they did. But they hadn't brought enough food, and they couldn't just go out and buy themselves a burger and fries because that kind of food hadn't been invented yet. So Jesus tells his disciples to feed the people, and they say, well, we don't have money to feed the people, and we don't have any food. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? Well, then a little boy came forward, and he had five loaves and two fishes. It wasn't much, not nearly enough for 5,000, but it was all he had. I have some, he said. Jesus' friends laughed when they saw his little lunch. Well, that's not nearly enough, they said. But they were wrong. Jesus knew it didn't matter how much the little boy had. God would make it enough, more than enough. Jesus said, bring me what you have. And so the little boy gave Jesus his lunch. Jesus winked at the little boy and whispered in his ear, watch. And that's what Jesus is saying to us today. Watch. It's a big goal to reach the community for Christ. But Jesus wants our little. When we give Jesus our little through the Holy Spirit, he makes it much. Amen. Thank you, Marie. There's a lot to think through.